Section eight of the Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Leader. Book one, chapter nineteen, in which I become a squire of dames. Who does not recognize the solemn majesty of night, that season of awesome stillness when tired mankind lies supine in that strange inertia so like death, when the soul, quitting the wearied body for a space, flies hence, but whither? What wonder is it if, at such an hour as this, we are prone to magnify trifles, or that the most insignificant thing becomes an omen full of ghastly meaning and possibilities? The creak of a door in the silence, a rustle in the dark, become to us of infinitely greater moment than the crash of falling empires. Thus, for a space I lay, with ears on the stretch, and every nerve tingling, waiting for, I knew not what. In a little I became conscious of yet another sound, indescribably desolate, the low, repressed sound of a woman's sobbing. Once more I rose, and, looking down into the lane, found it deserted. The watcher had vanished. I also noticed that the casement next to mine had been opened wide, and it was from here, as it seemed, that the weeping proceeded. After some little hesitation I knocked softly upon the wall, at which the weeping was checked abruptly, save for an occasional sob, whereupon I presently rapped again. At this, after a moment or so, I saw a very small white hand appear at the neighboring window, and next moment was looking into a lovely flushed face framed in bright hair, with eyes woefully swelled by tears, but a glance showed me that she was young, and of a rare and gentle beauty. Before I could speak she laid her finger upon her lip with a warning gesture. "'Help me! Oh, help me!' she whispered hurriedly. "'They have locked me in here, and I dare not go to bed, and—and, and, oh, what shall I do?' "'Locked you in?' I exclaimed. Oh, what shall I do? she sobbed. I tell you, I am afraid of him, his hateful, wicked eyes. Here a tremor seemed to shake her, and she covered her face with her hands. Tonight, when I found the key gone from the door, and remembered his look as he bade me good night, I thought I should have died. I waited here, close beside the window, listening, listening. Once I thought I heard a step outside my door, and opened the casement to throw myself out. He shall not find me here when he comes. No, said I, he shall not find you here when he comes. All this she had imparted to me in broken whispers, and with her face still hidden, but, at my words, she peeped at me through her fingers. You mean? You must run away. But the door is locked. There remains the window. The window, she repeated, trembling. You would find it easy enough with my help. Quick, then, she exclaimed, and held out her hand. Wait, said I, and turned back into my room. Hereupon, having locked the door, I got into my boots, slipped on my coat and knapsack, and, last of all, threw my blackthorn staff out of the window, where I was sure of finding it, and climbed out after it. The porch I have mentioned, upon which I now stood, sloped steeply down upon two sides, so that I had no little difficulty in maintaining my foothold. 
On the other hand, it was no great distance from the ground, and I thought that it would be easy enough of descent. At this moment the lady reappeared at the lattice. "'What is it?' I whispered, struck by the terror in her face. "'Quick!' she cried, forgetting all prudence in her fear. "'Quick! They are coming! I hear someone upon the stair. Oh, you are too late!' And, sinking upon her knees, she covered her face with her hands. Without more ado, I swung myself up and clambered over the sill into the room beside her. I was looking round for something that might serve me for a weapon when my eye encountered a tall oak press, a heavy, cumbersome affair, but, save the bed, the only furniture the room possessed. Setting my shoulder to it, therefore, I began to urge it towards the door. But it was soon apparent that I could not get it there in time, for the creeping footstep was already close outside, and next moment a key was softly inserted in the lock. "'Quick! Hide yourself!' I whispered over my shoulder, and, stepping back from the door to give myself room, I clenched my fists. There was a faint creak as the key turned, the door was opened cautiously, and a man's dim figure loomed upon the threshold. He had advanced two or three paces on tiptoe before he discovered my presence, for the room was in shadow, and I heard his breath catch suddenly, and hiss between his teeth. Then, without a word, he sprang at me. But as he came, I leapt aside, and my fist took him full and squarely beneath the ear. He pitched sideways, and, falling heavily, rolled over upon his back, and lay still. As I leaned over him, however, for the blow had been a heavy one, he uttered a groaning oath, whereupon, pinning him forthwith by the collar, I dragged him out into the passage, and, whipping the key from the lock, transferred it to the inside and locked the door. Waiting for no more, I scrambled back through the casement, and reached my hand to the lady. "'Come,' said I, and almost as quickly as it takes to set down here, she was beside me upon the roof of the porch, clinging to my arm. Exactly how it was managed I am unable to say. All that I remember being the vision of a slender foot and ankle, and excellently shaped leg. Our farther descent to the ground proved much more difficult than I had supposed, but, though I could feel her trembling, my companion obeyed my whispered instructions, and yielded herself implicitly to my guidance, so that we were soon standing in the lane before the house, safe and sound, except for a few rents to our garments. "'What is it?' she whispered seeing me searching about in the grass. "'My staff,' said I, "'a faithful friend, I would not lose it. "'But they will be here in a minute. "'We shall be seen.' "'I cannot lose my staff,' said I. "'Oh, hurry, hurry!' she cried, wringing her hands. And in a little while, having found my staff, we turned our backs upon the tavern and began to run up the lane, side by side. As we went, came the slam of a door behind us, a sudden clamour of voices, followed a moment later by the sharp report of a pistol, and in that same fraction of time I stumbled over some unseen obstacle, and my hat was whisked from my head. "'Are you hurt?' panted my companion. "'No,' said I, "'but it was a very excellent shot, nevertheless.' For as I picked up my hat I saw a small round hole that pierced it through and through, midway between crown and brim. The lane wound away between high hedges, which rendered our going very dark, for the moon was getting low, and difficult by reason of the deep wheel-ruts. 
but we hurried forward notwithstanding, urged on by the noise of the chase. We had traversed some half-mile thus, when my ears warned me that our pursuers were gaining upon us, and I was inwardly congratulating myself that I had stopped to find my staff, and wondering how much execution such a weapon might reasonably be capable of, when I found that my companion was no longer at my side. As I paused, irresolute, her voice reached me from the shadow of the hedge. "'This way,' she panted. "'Where?' said I. "'Here.' And as she spoke, her hand slipped into mine, and so she led me through a small gate into a broad, open meadow beyond. But to attempt crossing this would be little short of madness, for, as I pointed out, we could not go a yard without being seen. "'No, no,' she returned, her breath still laboring. "'Wait, wait till they are past.' And so, hand in hand, we stood there in the shadow, screened very effectively from the lane by the thick hedge, while the rush of our pursuers' feet drew nearer and nearer until we could hear a voice that panted out curses upon the dark lane, ourselves, and everything concerned. At sound of which my companion seemed to fall into a shivering fit, her clasp tightened upon my hand, and she drew closer to me. Thus we remained, until voices and footsteps had grown faint with distance, but even then I could feel that she was trembling still. Suddenly she drew her fingers from mine and covered her face with her hands. "'Oh, that man!' she exclaimed in a whisper. "'I didn't quite realize till now what I have escaped. Oh, that beast!' "'Sir Harry Mortimer?' said I. "'You know him?' she cried. Oh, "'Heaven forbid!' I answered. "'But I have seen him once before at the Checkers Inn at Tunbridge, and I never forget names or faces, especially such as his.' Oh, "'How I hate him!' she whispered. "'An unpleasant animal, to be sure,' said I. "'But, come, it were wiser to get as far from here as possible. "'They will doubtless be returning soon.' "'So we started off again, running in the shadow of the hedge. "'We had thus doubled back upon our pursuers, "'and, leaving the tavern upon our left, "'soon gained the kindly shadow of those woods "'through which I had passed in the early evening. "'Born to us upon the gentle wind "'was the haunting perfume of hidden flowers,' and the sinking moon sent long shafts of silvery light to pierce the leafy gloom, and make the shadows more mysterious. The path we followed was very narrow, so that sometimes my companion's knee touched mine, or her long silken hair brushed my brow or cheek, as I stooped to lift some trailing branch that barred her way, or open a path for her through the leaves. So we journeyed on through the mysteries of the woods together. Book One, Chapter Twenty, Concerning Demons in General, and One in Particular. In certain old books you shall find strange mention of witches, warlocks, succubi, spirits, demons, and a thousand other powers of darkness, whose pronounced vocation was the plague of poor humanity. Within these books you may read, if you will, divers wondrous accounts, together with many learned disquisitions upon the same, and most minute and particular descriptions of witch-marks and the like. Aforetime, when a man committed some great offence against laws human or divine, he was said to be possessed of a demon, that is to say, he became the medium and instrument through, and by which, the evil was wrought. Thus, when in due season he came to be hanged, tortured, or burned, 
it was inflicted not so much as a punishment upon him the man as to exorcise once and for all the devil which possessed him in these material common-sense days we are wont to smile the superior smile at the dark superstitions and deplorable ignorance of our forefathers yet life is much the same now as then the devil goeth up and down in the world spirits demons and the thousand powers of darkness abide with us still though to-day they go by different names for there is no man in this smug complacent age of ours but carries within him a power of evil greater or less according to his intellect scratch off the social veneer lift but a corner of the very decent cloak of our civilization and behold there stands the primal man in all his old wild savagery and with the devil leering upon his shoulder indeed to-day as surely as in the dim past we are all possessed of a devil great or small weaker or stronger as the case may be a demon which though he sometimes seems to slumber is yet watchful and ever ready to spring up and possess us to the undoing of ourselves and others thus as i followed my companion through the wood i was conscious of a demon that ran beside me leaping and gambling at my elbow though i kept my eyes straight before me anon his clutching fingers were upon my arm and fain i would have shaken him off but could not while as i watched the swing and grace of the lithe feminine body before me from the little foot to the crowning glory of her hair she seemed a thousand times more beautiful than i had supposed and i had saved her to-night from what there had been the fear of worse than death in her eyes when that step had sounded outside her chamber door hereupon as i walked i began to recall much that i had read in the old romances of the gratitude of rescued ladies truly said i to myself in olden days a lady well knew how to reward her rescuer <laughs> woman is woman the same to-day as then try her try her chuckled the demon and now as i looked more fully at this demon he seemed no demon at all but rather a jovial companion who nodded and winked and nudged me slyly with his elbow what are pretty faces for but to be admired said he in my ear what are slender waists for but to be pressed and as for a kiss or two in a dark wood with no one to spy they like it you dog they like it so we traversed the alleys of the wood now in shadow now in moonlight the lady the demon and i and always the perfume of hidden flowers seemed sweeter and stronger the gleam of her hair and the sway of her body the more alluring and always the voice at my ear whispered try her you dog try her at last being come to a broad grassy glade the lady paused and standing in the full radiance of the dying moon looked up at me with a smile on her red lips they can never find us now she said no they can never find us now i repeated while the demon at my elbow chuckled again and oh sir i can never never thank you she began don't said i not looking at her don't thank me till we are out of the wood i think she went on slowly that you can guess from from what you saved me and can understand something of my gratitude for i never can express it all 
Indeed, said I, indeed you overestimate my service. You risk your life for me, sir, said she, her eyes glistening. Surely my thanks are due to you for that, and I do thank you from my heart. And with a swift, impulsive gesture, she stretched out her hands to me. For a brief moment I hesitated, then seized them and drew her close. But, even as I stooped above her, she repulsed me desperately. Her loosened hair brushed my eyes and lips. Blinded, maddened me. My hat fell off, and all at once her struggles ceased. <gasps> Sir Maurice Vibbert, she panted, and I saw hopeless terror in her face. But the demon's jovial voice chuckled in my ear. Oh, Peter Vibbert, act up to your cousin's reputation. Who's to know the difference? My arms tightened about her. Then I loosed her suddenly, and, turning, smote my clenched fist against a tree, which done, I stooped and picked up my hat and blackthorn staff. Madam, said I, looking down upon my bleeding knuckles, I am not Sir Maurice Vibbert. It seems my fate is to be mistaken for him wherever I go. My name is Peter, plain and unvarnished, and I am very humbly your servant. Now, as I spoke, it seemed that the demon, no longer the jovial companion, was himself again, horns, hoof, and tail. Nay, indeed, he seemed a thousand times more foul and hideous than before, as he mouthed and jibed at me in baffled fury. Wherefore I smiled, and turned my back upon him. "'Come,' said I, extending my hand to the trembling girl, "'let us get out of these dismal woods.' For a space she hesitated, looking up at me beneath her lashes, then reached out and laid her fingers in mine, and as we turned away I knew that the demon had cast himself upon the ground, and was tearing at the grass in a paroxysm of rage and bafflement. "'It is strange,' said I, after we had gone some little distance. Very strange that you should only have discovered this resemblance here and now, for surely you saw my face plainly enough at the inn. No. You see, I hardly looked at you. And now that you do look at me, am I so very much like Sir Maurice? Not now, she answered, shaking her head. For though you are of his height, and though your features are much the same as his, your expression is different. But a moment ago, when your hat fell off— Yes, said I. Your expression, your, your face looked— Demoniac, I suggested. Yes, she answered. Yes, said I. So we went upon our way, nor paused until we had left the demon in the dark woods behind us. Then I looked from the beauty of the sweet, pure earth to the beauty of her who stood beside me, and I saw that her glance rested upon the broken knuckles of my right hand. Meeting my eyes, her own drooped, and a flush crept into her cheeks, and though of course she could not have seen the demon, yet I think that she understood. Book One, Chapter Twenty One Journey's End in Lovers' Meetings The moon was fast sinking below the treetops to our left, what time we reached a road, or, rather, cart-track that wound away up a hill. Faint and far a church clock slowly chimed the hour of three, 
the solemn notes coming sweet and silvery with distance. "'What chimes are those?' I inquired. "'Cranbrook Church? Is it far to Cranbrook? One mile this way, but two by the road yonder.' "'You seem very well acquainted with these parts,' said I. "'I have lived here all my life. Those are the Camburn Woods over there.' "'Camburn Woods?' said I. "'Part of the Sefton Estates,' she continued. "'Camburn Village lies to the right, beyond.' the lady sophia sefton of camburn said i thoughtfully my dearest friend nodded my companion they say she is very handsome said i they speak truth sir she has been described to me i went on as a peach a goddess and a plum which should you consider the most proper term my companion shot an arch glance at me from the corners of her eyes and i saw a dimple come and go beside the curve of her mouth goddess to be sure said she <laughs> peaches have such rough skins and plums are apt to be sticky and goddesses i added were all very well upon olympus but in this matter-of-fact age must be sadly out of place speaking for myself have you ever seen this particular goddess inquired my companion never then wait till you have sir the moon was down now yet the summer sky was wonderfully luminous and in the east i almost fancied i could detect the first faint gleam of day and after we had traversed some distance in silence my companion suddenly spoke but without looking at me you have never once asked me who i am she said almost reproachfully i thought nor how i came to be shut up in such a place with such a man why as to that I answered. I make it a general rule to avoid awkward subjects when I can, and never to ask questions that it will be difficult to answer. I should find not the least difficulty in answering either, said she. Besides, I continued, it is no affair of mine, after all. Oh, said she, turning away from me, and then very slowly, no, I suppose not. Certainly not, I added. How should it be? How indeed! said she over her shoulder, and then I saw that she was angry and wondered. And yet, I went on after a lapse of silence, I think I could have answered both questions the moment I saw you at your casement. Oh, said she, this time in tone of surprise, and her anger all gone again, for I saw that she was smiling, and again I wondered. Yes, I nodded. Then, said she, seeing I was silent, whom do you suppose me? You are, to the best of my belief, the Lady Helen Dunstan. My companion stood still, and regarded me for a moment in wide-eyed astonishment. And how, sir, pray, did you learn all this? She demanded, with the dimple once more peeping at me slyly from the corner of her pretty mouth. By the very simple method of adding two and two together, I answered, Moreover, no longer ago than yesterday, I broke bread with a certain Mr. Beverley. I heard her breath come in a sudden gasp, and next moment she was peering up into my face while her hands beat upon my breast with soft, quick little taps. Beverley, she whispered. Beverley? Uh, no, no. Why, they told me, Sir Harry told me that Peregrine lay dying at Tunbridge. Then Sir Harry Mortimer lied to you 
said I, for no longer ago than yesterday afternoon I sat in a ditch eating bread and cheese with a Mr. Peregrine Beverley. Oh, are you sure? Are you sure? Oh, quite sure. And as we ate he told me many things, and among them of a life of wasted opportunities, of foolish riot and prodigal extravagance, and of its logical consequence. Want. My poor Perry, she murmured. He spoke also of his love for a beautiful and good woman, and its hopelessness. Oh, my dear, dear Perry, she said again. And yet, said I, all this is admittedly his own fault, and, as I think Heraclitus says, suffering is the inevitable consequence of sin or folly. And he is well? she asked. Quite, quite well? He is, said I. Oh, thank God, she whispered. Tell me she went on. Is he so very, very poor? Is he much altered? I have not seen him for a whole long year. Why, a year is apt to change a man, I answered. Adversity is a hard school, but sometimes a very good one. Were he changed, no matter how, were he a beggar upon the roads, I should love him, always, said she, speaking in that soft, caressing voice which only the best of women possess. Yes, I had guessed as much, said I, and found myself sighing. A year is a long, long time, and we were to have been married this month, but my father quarrelled with him and forbade him the house. So poor Perry went back to London. Then we heard he was ruined, and I almost died with grief. You see, his very poverty only made me love him the more yesterday that man sir harry mortimer said i yes he was a friend of whom i had often heard perry speak and he told me that my perry lay at tunbridge dying and begging to see me before the end he offered to escort me to him assuring me that i could reach home again long before dusk my father who i knew would never permit me to go was absent and so I ran away. Sir Harry had a carriage waiting, but almost as soon as the door was closed upon us, and we had started, I began to be afraid of him, and—and—Sir Harry, as I said before, is an unpleasant animal, I nodded. Thank heaven, she pursued. We had not gone very far before the chase broke down, and the rest you know. The footpath we had been following now led over a stile into a narrow lane or byway. Very soon we came to a high stone wall wherein was set a small wicket. Through this she led me, and we entered a broad park where was an avenue of fine old trees, beyond which I saw the gables of a house, for the stairs had long since paled to the dawn, and there was a glory in the east. "'Your father will be rejoiced to have you safe back again,' said I. "'Yes,' she nodded, "'but he will be very angry.' And hereupon she stopped and began to pull and twist and pat her shining hair with dexterous white fingers, talking thus the while. "'My mother died at my birth, and since then father has worshipped her memory, and his face always grows wonderfully gentle when he looks upon her portrait. They say I'm greatly like her, although... She was a famous beauty in her day. And, indeed, I I think there must be some truth in it, for 
no matter how I may put him out. My father can never be very angry when my hair is dressed so. With the word she turned, and truly I thought the face peeping out from its clustered curls even more lovely and bewitching than before. I very much doubt if any man could, said I. As we approached the house I saw that the smooth gravel was much cut up as though by the coming and going of many wheels and horses, and also that one of the windows still shone with a bright light, and it was towards this window that my companion led me. In a while, having climbed the terrace steps, I noticed that this was one of those French windows opening to the ground. Now, looking through into the room beyond, I beheld an old man who sat bowed down at a table, with his white head pillowed upon his arms, sitting so very still that he might have been asleep but for the fierce grip of his twitching hands. Now upon the table, at no great distance from him, between the guttering candles, lay a hat, a very ill-used, battered-looking object, which I thought I recognized. Wherefore, looking about, I presently espied its owner leaning against the mantel. He was powdered with dust from head to foot, and his worn garments looked more ragged than ever. And as he stood there, in the droop of his head and the listless set of his shoulders, there was an air of the most utter dejection and hopelessness, while upon his thin cheek I saw the glisten of a great solitary tear. But as I looked, the window was burst suddenly open. Perry! Love, surprise, joy, pity, all were summed up in that one word. Yet deeper than all was love. And at that cry, the white head was raised, raised in time to see a vision of loveliness caught up in two ragged arms. Father! And now the three heads, the white, the golden, and the black, were drawn down together, drawn, and held close in an embrace that was indeed reunion. Then, seeing my presence was become wholly unnecessary, I turned away and was soon once more deep among the trees. Yet, as I went, I suddenly heard voices that called upon my name. But I kept on and in due season came out upon the broad highway. And in a little, as I went, very full of thought, the sun rose up. So I walked along through a world all glorious with morning. End of Section 8